0: I want to continue to talk you today about a subject that we started online, maybe maybe in the last week when we are online. And I just wanted to continue in it today. The last couple of weeks were a couple of special weeks because we were just getting back into church. But this subject that we started into, I wanted to talk about for a few weeks. And, and I want to continue in that subject today. If you missed the first part of this, it will be our last uh, online, full online service that we had. It's about two weeks ago. And we're going to talk about limiting God. Limiting God. Did you ever read your Bible? I'm sure you did. If you didn't, you should. It's a great book. It's well worth it. If you haven't got one, we have plenty. We can give you one before you go. But did you ever read in your Bible all of these great stories that God worked through, these miracles and moves that God worked through his people? the great things that that God did through Jesus, all the miracles that he did. And and you read about all of these deliverances, the healings, the restorations, the provisions, the multiplications, all of these amazing miracles, like the raising of the dead and and the cleansing of the lepers. And and you read all of these fantastic stories that God did through Jesus and those who trusted in him. And when you read these amazing occurrences in the Bible, then you look at your own life and you kind of get this attitude That was okay then, but I don't think that that's okay today. I don't think that's happening today, or at least that's not my experience. You know, experiences are great things, aren't they? You know, if someone went to Disneyland and had a great time, they can come back and tell you all about the great time that they had in Disneyland, but, you know, their experience, they can tell you about it, but they can't give you the experience, can they? When we read our Bibles and read about all the great things that God did in the Bible, God is not just wanting to tell you about the experiences of other people that they had. He wants you to experience it himself. Amen. You know, this book that you have in front of you, hopefully, is a living book. Amen. Amen. It's a living book. It hasn't all of a sudden just stopped. It's, it's not just a book that we read wonderful stories in, it's, it's a book that we're meant to read about, yes, the experiences of other people, but also believe and trust that those experiences can be our experiences too. Amen. You know, we serve a living God, don't we? Yeah, we do. And he's, a, he's a, an active God. You know, God hasn't given up. God hasn't just parked a car and said, this is all I've done, you know, I'm not going to do anymore. He is still living and active. Amen. He still wants to be active in our lives. But we have, because of our experiences, I believe we've put limits on God. Yeah, I think we have. We put limits on God. We see about all the great things and read about all the great things that they've done, but we don't see those things in our lives. So we kind of have this attitude that that was okay then and that doesn't happen today. What we're going to learn about in these these next few weeks is we're going to learn about how we can take the limits we've placed on God off of God and see God move more powerfully in our lives. Amen. You know, I, I, I believe everybody here has a mobile phone. And what's the one thing that you have to do with your mobile phone every day? Charge it. You have to plug it in and charge it. Because you use your phone, I'm sure every one of us uses our phone oh, hours every day. And if you want to use it again the next day, you've got to plug it in and you've got to charge it. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you think you plugged it in, you didn't plug it in. Like Saturday morning, I picked it up Saturday morning and I looked at it and it was at 5% and I was like, you know... Oh. We've all done it. Don't just look at me. We've all done it. And when that happens, you have to then plug in your phone before you can use it, and you have to charge it then, because if not, you won't be able to use your phone. There's other times that we we go through times where we fully charge our phone the night before, and and we pick it up on the next morning, and we put it into our pocket or put it into our bags, and, and we may not use it at all that day. We've had a particularly busy day, and we can take our phones then, out of our bags or our pockets, maybe at eight o'clock in the evening, thinking it'll still be at 100 percent, and we look at it and is that 60 percent. We are wondering why? Well, we know why? Because as soon as you plug that phone out of the charger, the battery starts to deplete, it, it starts to drain of power, whether you're using it or not. And I think what believers have got this mindset is that it's been 2,000 years since Jesus' day. And I think because of the length of time that it's been in Jesus' day to today, I think we think, a lot of things there, isn't there? I think we think that somehow God's power has deleted or depleted. Because we haven't seen all these great things, because they're recorded in the Word of God, but because we haven't witnessed them or experienced them in our lives, I think we believe that God's power has depleted. I want you to know God is powerful. God is never depleted. He is the same God that was there 2,000 years ago with Jesus as he is today with you and I. Amen? God may be ancient, but he is not feeble. Amen? You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he healed a lot of people. In fact, everywhere Jesus went, he healed people. People came from all over to be healed by Jesus, to be set free. And our Bibles are full of great stories talking about everything thing that Jesus did. But did he heal everyone? Could could he have healed everyone? You know, Jesus could at any time in his ministry said, everybody all over the world at the count of three will be healed. And he could have went one, two, three, boom, everybody's healed all over the world. He could have done that. Because there was times that people came to Jesus wanting him to heal their, their their friend or their loved one that wasn't there present, and Jesus said, "Go your way; your request has been granted." And as they went, their friend was healed. There was other times that Jesus healed people that 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 weren't there and that he didn't see. Jesus was able to do these things. He was able to heal people without seeing them. He was able to heal people without being in their presence. So he could have done that, you know. Jesus responds to faith, doesn't he? Amen? He responds to our faith. Like Bartimaeus, the blind man, who heard Jesus passing by and shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And after he was brought to Jesus, Jesus said, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then there was the leper that came to Jesus in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40 imploring Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, and then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus said, I'm willing. He was willing then, he's willing today, amen? 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 God's will hasn't changed towards you. God's will hasn't changed towards his people. Everywhere Jesus went, amazing miracles followed him the only place where jesus wasn't able to do the miracles that he did in other places was in nazareth this same jesus who had just healed a woman with the issue of blood without his even knowing this same jesus who raised lazarus's daughter from the dead i mean jesus walked in there she was dead The mourners were there. The undertaker was there. This same Jesus walked into that room and he raised that child from the dead. Now, he comes, a couple of days later, comes to his own hometown with the very same ability. Now, he didn't lose his ability walking on the road. He wasn't tired or there was nothing different about Nazareth than any other town that he visited. Only That it was his own hometown. was where he grew up. It's where he probably had his workshop. It's probably where he knew more people than he did in other places. And now he arrives in his own hometown. Still full of the same ability. Still full of the same power that he had expressed everywhere else he went. And now he arrives in his own hometown. And the word of God says that he couldn't. Couldn't. Couldn't heal people there. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus went in there, saw a few people that he didn't like? Someone who didn't pay him for a job, maybe that he had done a few years earlier when he was still working as a carpenter? Someone that he might have fallen out with when he was a child, or someone who might have hurt one of his brothers or sisters or his friends, and, and then Jesus went, you know, I do, I just don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't. No. He says he couldn't, and it wasn't because he wasn't able it was because of their lack of belief in Him. Amen? It was because of their unbelief. You know, your issues and your problem are no problem to God. Your issues, my issues, the things I have going on in my life, the problems that I have in my life, the things that I need to fix in my life, and the same for you. God doesn't see them as a problem. We see him sometimes as a, as a mountain in our way. We see him sometimes as, oh, I'll never be able to do that, or I'll never be able to overcome that. God doesn't see it that way. Amen? God sees all of our issues and problems the same, that he's already overcome. Amen? You know what the problem is? It's our unbelief. That's what the problem is. You know what we need to do? Like the father who came looking for healing for his demon-possessed son. In Mark chapter 9, we need to say, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Because we believe, don't we? I, I believe we do. We wouldn't be sitting here today if we didn't. We believe that God is able for others. But when the shoe puts on, uh, ends up on our feet, I think sometimes we lose that ability to be able to believe. I mean, when someone comes to you and asks, me, asks you, will you pray for me? I have this sickness or I have this doctor's appointment or I have this need. You're full of faith then. You say, yes, come on, let's pray. But when you have that need, when that issue comes knocking on your door, we find it more difficult to pray and believe then, don't we? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, it's faith that makes the difference between something happening and not happening. Because without faith, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, faith is believing in something that you can't see, that you haven't got. Amen. I can't see tomorrow, but I have faith to believe that I will see tomorrow. Amen. Faith. We need to to have faith in the things we can't see. Because God says we are to believe in those things that we can't see. Because if we don't have faith in them, we'll never see them. Amen? It's faith that makes the difference. It doesn't have to be super faith. Amen? You don't have to have the kind of faith that brings you down to the river there and you can walk across it without getting your feet wet. Not that kind of faith. You just have to have faith. The Bible calls it childlike faith sometimes because I've never seen an anxious child yet. I've never seen an anxious child. I mean, when a child gets hungry, they scream, they cry, knowing that you'll come and you'll feed them, Amen? At least I hope you will. (laughs) Kids don't get naturally anxious over stuff when their parents are around because they know mommy or daddy will take care of it. We need to develop that kind of same faith And I know this is simplistic. I know you're saying, oh yeah, that's easy to say. You're not going through the stuff I'm going through. That's true. We need to, despite the fact that we're not going through it, we need to develop that kind of faith. That kind of faith, that unquestioning belief and trust in our God. Amen. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, he said that if you had faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, be moved from here and it will be moved and nothing will be impossible for you. Did you get that? Jesus said, nothing will be impossible for you. He didn't put an exclamation mark beside that or there's not an asterisk in your Bible saying, look at the notes. He didn't really mean that. He was only saying it, he wanted to sound good. He said, Nothing will be impossible for you because nothing will be impossible for you. If you have faith, if you believe. I wonder where did we lose that? Where along the road did we lose that mustard seed kind of faith, believing that anything will be impossible for us, and develop this attitude that we have inside of us that, oh no, that's too hard, that's too difficult. I've never seen that done before. I've only read about it, so I don't think that that can happen today. That was okay back in the apostles' day, but I don't think that qualifies today. You ever hear people talking about, I believe that signs and miracles faded out and died away with the last apostles. You know what that is? It's an excuse. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Psalms 80, sorry, Psalms 78 and verse 41 talks about the children of Israel and how they tested God. And I wonder sometimes are we carbon copies of the children of Israel? I wonder are we again and again testing and limiting God with our unbelief? You know, there's so much more that God wanted to do with the children of Israel. We read about the great things that God did with the children of Israel, but God wanted to do so much more with them, but He couldn't because. Every time he, they came up against an obstacle, they limited what he could do. Amen. No matter everything that he had done, all the things that they'd seen him doing, every time they came up against the next problem, it was like, you know, oh, we, I wish we had died in Egypt. I mean, I wonder how did that make God feel. Time and time again, despite everything that God did for him, when they came against another problem, they... Limited what God could do. I think we look at all these amazing stories that we read in the Bible every day that God did through men and women who trusted in Him and believed in Him. And we think that, I don't think that could happen for me in this day and age that we're living in. But here's the thing the work of God is not limited to a particular time or place in history, the work of God continues today in your lives. In your families, in my life, through my family. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. He is not limited by your circumstances, but He is limited by your unbelief. Amen. Because we put limitations on, on what God can do in our lives, then we are restrained by those limitations. Amen. I mean, like, if you don't put petrol in your car, your car will only go so far before it stops. Now, the ability in your car is still to take you from A to B and and further if that's where you want to go. But unless you fuel up that car, it'll only take you so far. And when the fuel runs out, that's it. You go no further. And when we put limits on on what God can do in our lives and, and we don't believe that God can do it, then God will not be able to do it. Amen. Because despite the fact that God is able, if we are restricting Him by our unbelief. Because we don't believe He could in this circumstance. Yeah, he, if He wanted it, maybe He could. But we don't believe He can or that He will. We are limiting God in what He can do in our lives. That's why so many people can believe God for salvation but they can't believe God for provision. I believe every one of you is in here today has prayed that prayer and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I don't believe there's anybody here sitting here today fretting or worrying over your salvation. At least I hope there's not. If there is, we can talk afterwards. But we fret and worry over our provision. Which is easier for God to do? Provide for your needs or save you? I mean, from the very beginning, God has provided for his people, Adam and Eve in the garden. They lack nothing. He provided for the children of Israel, manna and quail, water for two and a half million people for 40 years in the desert. But yet, we think today that God cannot provide for our needs. So which is easier for God to do? Provide for our needs or salvation? Provide for our needs. So much easier. Because salvation costs Him. Cost him his one and only son, Jesus. Cost him everything. So, why do we find it easy to believe God for salvation? We just pray a prayer. Praise God, I'm saved. Help me live a better life now, Lord. But when it comes to the provision, the easier thing, we find it so difficult to believe God for provision. There's so many ways that we can limit God in our. Lives And one of them is with our mind, our thinking. Romans chapter 12 says in verse 2, and it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, church, great news. We have the ability to change our thinking by the renewing of our minds. What does it mean to renew your mind? It means to take all of the garbage that we have gathered and believed through our experiences, down through our our lives, it means to take all that out, give it a good old washing, and and get rid of most of it, and renew it with the Word of God. Because the world, just, just ask the world, it'll tell you how to live your life. Just ask them. They have it all worked out, even though it's not working for them, but they have it all worked out. Your experiences, how things worked out for you in the past, will tell you how you should believe for things in the future. But God says, hey, that's not working for you, is it? So you need to renew your mind. Every circumstance, every situation that you go through in your life, you need to find out what God says about it. What does God say about your finances? What does God say about your health? What does God say about your relationships? What does God say about those things? Rather than what does your experiences say? Find out what God says. And keep renewing your mind on that. Keep filling your mind with what God says rather than what the world says. Amen. We don't have to think like the world thinks. We can think prosperity when the world thinks recession. We can think health and wholeness when the doctor says three months and death. We have been shackling what God can do in our lives Because we have trusted more in what the world says than trusted in what God says in his word. We need to start believing what God says. Because he spoke first. Amen. I'm glad that God created me. And not the world. Amen. Because if the world was, which is trying to do, programming you with its thoughts, its ideas, its ways, but the world didn't create you. God created you. Amen. He formed you before you were a twinkle in your parents' eyes. God knew you. And God wants to program you to the, word for the renewing of your mind. Amen. Amen. We need to change the way we think. We need to take the shackles off of off of God and let him loose in our lives. We need to listen to what God is saying about us. Because there's so much that we're reading in our Bibles and we're going, yeah, that was great. Not for me, though. Brilliant. I'm happy for you, Paul, but I don't think that could happen for me. Peter, you walked on water. Wonderful. I couldn't do that. We need to take the the shackles off of what we believe about ourselves and start believing what God says about us. Judges chapter 6. It says in verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the turban tree, which is at Oprah, which belongs to Joash to Azerite, while his son Gideon was threshing out wheat in the wine press in order to hide it for the Midianites. You know, at this time in history, the the children of Israel were being oppressed by their enemies, the Midianites. And at harvest time, every year, the Midianites would come and they would invade Israel and they would take whatever they wanted for themselves and then they would leave. And at wheat time, they'd come and they'd take as much wheat as they wanted. At, at, at barley time, they come and take whatever barley they want, grapes and olive time. They would take whatever they wanted for themselves and leave the, the, the least pickings for the children of Israel. Now you can imagine how that made the children of Israel feel. They must have felt bullied and weak and harassed and defenseless. So here is Gideon, and he is being a, uh, he's being smart, but he's also being cowardly at the same time. He's in hiding from the Midianites, because it, it, it's now the time of wheat harvest. And he knows at wheat harvest time, the Midianites are going to come in, and they're going to take whatever they want for themselves. So Midian has kind of been smart, but cowardly at the same time, and he's threshing out wheat in the winepress. Because he knew if they're looking for wheat, they won't look in the wine press. He was in the head. But how many know that you can't, you can hide from your enemies, but you can never hide from God? Amen? This is what, Midian, uh, this is what Gideon was doing. He was hiding from his enemies, but God knew exactly where he was. Amen? It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the turban tree. He was already waiting for Gideon. Amen. You can't hide from God. Amen. You can hide from your enemies. You can hide from your issues. You can hide from your problems, but you can never hide from God. It says in verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The angel of the Lord, he shows up. And, and he starts to, to communicate some things to Gideon. And he says two things to him. He says, God is with you. And you are a mighty man of valor or a mighty warrior. Now as we read on, this sends Gideon's head tilt. He can't accept this. And he says, by way of challenging God, he said, Oh my Lord, verse 13. If the Lord is with us, why has all these things happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You know what? What was Gideon doing here? He was making excuses. He was making excuses. He had his five minutes with God. And God was declaring stuff over him. I will be with you. You are a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty warrior. And all Gideon can do is is churn up the past and and say God has abandoned us and start to give excuses. You ever wonder does God get fed up of our excuses? Because we're all good at it, aren't we? We have an excuse why we can't do this. We have an excuse why we can't do that. We have an excuse why we can't. We're full of excuses sometimes, aren't we? I'm not tall enough. I'm not slim enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not fast enough or confident enough. I'm not smart enough or holy enough or brave enough or attractive enough. And so on and so on. We've got this whole list of excuses worked out. But I think God gets tired of our excuses here we have Gideon. He was starting out into his excuses. And I believe God cut him off. Verse 14, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Then he backed it up and said, Have I not sent you? I mean, here is the angel of the Lord, the incarnate God, standing there in front of him, telling Gideon, I'm with you. Now go in this might of yours and go and free. You, you are the one that is going to set the children of Israel free. I mean, he's making excuses. He's saying, you know, where is God? He's abandoned us. He's left us to be, to be attacked every year and, and oppressed by the Midianites. And now God is saying, well, you're the answer. I wonder... How many times God has told us that we're the answer? That he's empowered us to make a difference. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How many of us make excuses when we read that? I can't go. Kids are too young. I need to finish college. I need to finish school. I need to, I need to pay off my mortgage. I, I, I need to... And I wonder if God there doing the very same to us as he was doing to Gideon. Um, more excuses go God said go he says have I not sent you and I think when we come to God with all of our excuses God has gone I just say go I won't leave you I'm with you I won't abandon you out there on the battlefield I'm with you now go have I not sent you God is not interested in our list of excuses. God is saying to you and me that I have called you and I will enable you. Verse 15 says, Gideon again said, he said, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. More excuses. Excuses after excuses. But God again ignores his Excuses. And he shuts them down and he says, Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites to one man. Or as one man. You know when God looks at you, he doesn't see all your faults. We have faults. We have weaknesses. I know my weaknesses. I know my faults and you know yours. Some of our faults are, are evident for everyone around us. And, and Gideon was looking at his faults, he was looking at his weaknesses, and he was ignoring the word of God, and he was limiting, trying to limit what God could do through his life by all the excuses that he had already thought up and dreamed up in his life. We need to dump those excuses. Amen. We need to stop looking at our limitations, and we need to start believing that, well, if God said he's with me, if God said I can do it, then I can do it. Amen. Amen. God doesn't look at our weaknesses. He doesn't look at our faults. He doesn't look at our age. He looks at you and he sees somebody whom he has promised to never leave or forsake or let down. He sees someone who he has declared to be more than a conqueror. He sees somebody that he's given unique tailor-made gifts and someone that he's promised to provide for and take care of. He sees somebody That can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. When God looks at you, he sees an overcomer, a miracle worker. Somebody, if they believe, nothing will be too difficult or impossible for. We need to stop limiting what God can do in our lives. I mean, we can look at, for the church, we can look at Enniscorti in Wexford and we can say, oh, that could never happen here. Why not? God said it could. We just need to believe him. We need to trust him. God said that we can prosper in life, even as our souls prosper. Why can't we? It's because we limit God by our thoughts. We need to renew our mind. Start believing what God says about us and not what the world says about us. Amen? Praise God.